I want to talk to you a little bit about something that was not on my schedule, okay? And I'm going, to, I'm going to give you what I think will be a good word, but there may seem like there's some hard words embedded in there. And if, if that ever happens, just know this, that the hard word came to me first before it ever got to you, okay? So uh, I want to tell you that uh, COVID was not on my calendar. I'm a scheduler. I'm a strategic guy. I like to look ahead and kind of see around the corners and go, okay, what's coming next? And I got to tell you, to be honest, COVID was not on my calendar. So very early in March when it started happening, like I signed up for 14 days. I don't, I don't know what you signed up for, but like I signed up for 14 days and then I was like, okay, maybe we can do 30 days and, you know, flatten the curve, break the curve, all that kind of stuff. And so I was praying, God, what are you doing? What are you saying during all this? And, and I felt like the Lord gave me four or five words, but in four different phases, uh, reveal, reset, re-entry, and then revival or reformation. I feel like the Lord told me there, there's going to be a lot that's going to be revealed, and then we're going to go through kind of a, a, a reset, and then we're going to uh, re-enter, and then we're going to have a, a revival and reformation season. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But actually what I believe now, 14 months later, not 14 days, 14 months later, is that I got the words exactly right. I feel like the Holy Spirit told me those words. But boy, was I wrong on the depth or duration how many of you have ever signed up for something short-term and ended up going long-term? And you went like, ah, well, that's kind of what's been happening for me. It's like, are you kidding? We're still in this. But I really have been uh, believing that COVID is a revealer. I think things about families. I think things about churches. I think things about business and economies and governments and social. That, there's a lot of revealing that's been taking place. I also think it's an accelerator. That which is reset and whole reentry. I think there's an acceleration that's happening now. Now, i got to be honest. I'm a college president, so I can express myself right here. Um, I have lots of concerns about our culture. I really do. I have lots of burdens about our culture. But I, I want to be very frank with you. My concerns for the church of Jesus Christ, the body of believers, the household of faith, far uh, uh, exceed my concerns for culture. I have a lot of concerns for culture, but I have real concerns for the body of Christ that I'd like to talk to you about uh, today, okay? And I want to talk to you specifically about uh, a couple of things. First of all, salt and light. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that, that we're to be salt and light in the world. If you remember that text, he actually says salt that's lost its saltiness is good for nothing anymore. You just throw it out on the, on, the, on the heap. And then the second thing is he says nobody lights a light and puts it under a bushel, right? The purpose of salt is to be salty, to be a preservative, an antiseptic, to give flavor. The purpose of light is to illuminate. You never light a light and put it under a bushel, right? So we're supposed to be salt and light in our world. Uh, second of all, I want to tell you that in Ephesians 4, it makes really clearly that, that we have gifts and we have assignments in the body of Christ. There are these things called the fivefold ministries, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Why do they exist? It's not for celebrity. The fivefold ministry exists to equip people for the work of ministry that the body may be built up. How many of you know there's no spare parts in God's economy? Like you're in God's body, you're not a spare part. There are no spectators in the body of Christ. We don't all go look, whoa, there's Billy Graham. Whoa, there's Mother Teresa. Whoa, there's this person or that person. They've got gifts. You know, yes, they have gifts and yes, they may have an assignment, but that doesn't mean that we're a spare part and we're just supposed to clap for what everybody else is doing. I really think God is calling us. And then maybe one last thing I want to just share with you is, is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus prays a prayer that um, you're familiar with, I'm sure. The Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Now, you're going to hear me reference a couple times. I grew up Baptist. My dad was a Baptist pastor. I was telling Lindsay earlier that when she was on the front row in the first service and the kids were there, oh, I was having such a hard time concentrating because I just want to look at those precious little lives, and I know that they occasionally do stuff. Because uh, and, and, I did, man. I, I, I sat in the back row of the church whenever it let me, and then my dad would slowly but surely pull me up towards the front. Uh, but I look, looking at those precious lives and just thinking uh, of the power of that being in church and the heritage of the family. And, oh, I love that. So I want to say this, though, that when I grew up in my Baptist life, I had a commitment to the Word of God and a commitment to evangelism, that lost people need to know Jesus. But you know what I missed? At least I missed from my Baptist life. And again, I, I'm thankful for my Baptist life. I missed a sense of the kingdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Like I got the Word part and the witness part, but I miss the kingdom and power. And so when I read that prayer as a little boy growing up and maybe as a young teenager, when Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you know what I thought? That is such a cool Hallmark card sentiment. Jesus is painting like a Hallmark story. He's painting a little painting and, and it's just, you're supposed to, make, it's supposed to make you feel good. Like some of you hate Hallmark movies, but, but I like to watch Hallmark movies sometimes because I know exactly what's going to happen. Hallmark movies are kind of, could I say the word predictable? But how many of you know every once in a while, predictably happy is an okay thing? Like, it's like, you know, you're like, oh, there's crisis. Don't worry. It's a Hallmark movie. It'll get resolved well. You know, so especially during our crazy insanity right now, sometimes I like watching Hallmark movies. And my wife would go, oh, he's such a good husband. Yeah, well, so I just like watching the happy movies. They end up well. Now, by the way, I watch the other kind as well. But uh, that, anyway, so I just want to just say this to you that I really believe that's not a hallmark statement of Jesus. I think it's a declaration of the Father's intent. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, is not a fluffy hallmark sentiment that we're supposed to paint in a floral kind of picture. It is actually the will of the Father that we would bring heaven on earth. So I've been praying several things. I've been praying over the church, and I've really been believing, starting last fall, it took me like six months to just kind of get this birth. I really believe that God wants his church to prevail. So I actually wrote this tiny little book called The Prevailing Church. Copies of it are out in the lobby. Um, all I do is cover my costs, and then the rest of the money will come here to the church. Um, but I also say this, if, if you go out there and go like, oh, I'd like to read this, but I can't afford it, you just take a copy, stop at the table, say, Dr. J said I could have a copy, and you just take it and walk away, because I want this to get in people's spirits and in their hearts. Let me read to you a declaration. I'm believing for a prevailing church. On the authority of the words of Jesus and in the power of his resurrection, I'm declaring that the era of a passive, weak, disengaged, fear-filled church is over. The people of God are waking up, rising up, and stirred up for battle against the enemy. Though he, the enemy, is indeed a thief, and he roars about like a lion, we declare that the only lion who matters is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and Jesus is his name. I really believe that God's calling the church to prevail. He's calling for us to be woken up and stirred up and to rise up. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about the church, the church of my generation. I'm 59. So I was born in 1961. I've kind of watched the church of the 60s and 70s. I grew up in a pastor's home. This is the way it was in our house. I was born on a Wednesday. I was in church on Sunday. Between the ages of zero and 16, I went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday nights. I was never allowed to miss church. I know people would freak out at this, but mumps, measles, chicken pox, cold, fever, flu, I went to church with all those. 
And when I had those things, I would sit in the usher's closet in the back of a Baptist church, but I was at church on the property, on the ground. It just was required. Like I, now you can judge my parents all you want. I have, but no, 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 I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My father's with the Lord. My mom's still uh, here on earth. And so we just, we, we talk about it and tease about it all the time. But by the way, my mom's four kids, all of Jesus, all in the church. Because we didn't grow up rebellious, we ended up saying, okay, we love Jesus, and we're, we're there, and the church is messy, and yep, but we love Jesus, and we watch Jesus work so much in people's lives. So I just want to say that in my lifetime, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010 to 20, and now, I think we're seeing the church be disengaged from culture. I think we've watched culture, we've seen it kind of drift, 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 and we said, oh, well, we can't do that. We can't get involved in arts and media. That's messy. We can't get involved in politics. That's ugly and dirty. We can't get involved in, 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 in education. We can't get involved in healthcare. Those are all, and I want to come against that. And in coming against that, I want to just quickly give you a world view. I, I've been talking real slow. I'm going to start talking fast, okay? So three reasons why I think church has been disconnected. The first is the watchmaker or blueprint view. And that is this kind of the view that basically what happens is that God winds up the universe and walks away. If that's your view of God, by the way, just kind of like everything's fixed, it's a blueprint, I don't know where you get that in Scripture. I believe God is totally sovereign. God is not up in heaven wringing his hands going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what's happening? But he is actively involved in the affairs of men and women. When we pray, it moves the heart of God. I'm a high view of God's sovereignty. Do we have anybody who's like into theology a little bit here? I'll just give you one phrase that'll help you. Um, I work like an Arminian, and I sleep like a Calvinist. In other words, during the day, like I know, like I got to do what I got to do, but when I go to sleep at night, it's all on him. It's not on me. It'll help you, by the way. It'll help your spiritual life. So that one. Second one, and I think this one's a bigger one, the sacred-secular divide. Now, you have to know, I'm a lover of Jesus. I'm a love, I, I love Jesus, I love my family, and I love the church. So I, you need to know, I love the church. This is, this is not, it will sound hard. I think we in the church are responsible for this. We say that church is sacred. VBS is sacred. Mission trips are sacred. Bible studies are sacred. But the rest of life is secular. You know, you're, you're going to work. I'm going to work in my cube. I'm going to work in the warehouse. I'm going to drive the truck. I'm going to, I'm going to work in the bank. That's That's secular. Oh, I, I got to go do this. I got to go shopping in the store. I got to mow the lawn. I got to change the diaper. I got to take out the trash. I, I got to go vote. I got to go do this. That, that's secular. Can I just tell you, I think that's a lie from Satan. Because all of life is sacred. Now, this is kind of, I see some babies here. If you're changing a poopy diaper, like what's spiritual about that? Well, it actually, I think, is very spiritual. Because when you're providing love and care for a precious child, that precious child is literally, uh, it, it's, that child carries the image of God. And when you're loving on and caring for a child, you're demonstrating the kindness and goodness of God. So there's no such thing as the sacred-secular divide. Here's a third one, and that is our eschatology. I was with a well-known uh, pastor and kind of revivalist a few weeks ago, and, and he had lived through these, a little bit older than me, but he lived through the 60s and 70s and had been involved. In, and, and by the way, 60s and 70s had some amazing thing, the Jesus People Movement. Does anybody remember that or, or hearing about that? Well, I actually, I was in a Baptist church, but my dad was enough of a kingdom guy uh, that he saw what God was doing at Calvary Chapel. We were in Southern California, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. So we used to go and hear Chuck Smith talk. And I would go to Saturday night concerts. We got to see the birth of Christian music with Maranatha Music. 
And one of the things that will never leave my mind is I got to see a thousand people being baptized at Corona Del Mar on the beach. A guy named Chuck Gerard wrote a song, Ocean Water Baptism by the Sea. He wrote it in that context of a thousand people being baptized. I never will forget that. I got to see the spirit move and work in various churches. It was explosive. But here's the problem. My revivalist uh, kind of pastor evangelist friend said, you know what messed up the Jesus people movement? It was our eschatology. This is his view. Some of us so believe that the world is condemned that we don't spend any time trying to intervene and see the world come to know Jesus because we think it's all going to burn. So, you know, in the 60s and 70s, just to be honest, I was making charts. I was wondering, like, is Kissinger the Antichrist? Is the Pope the Antichrist? Is Juan Carlos from Spain the Antichrist? In 1980, we're going to see the alignment of planets and what's going to happen, the world's going to end. Sometimes our eschatology messes us up and gets us detached from the world. Those are my three things that I've seen. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you six things. They're all rooted in Scripture. I didn't put all the Scriptures up on the screen, but I would be glad to have you have this outline. Anybody in the church can have this. Six things that will help shape a consistent worldview. i got to do a little church history because I get credit every time I speak if I do some teaching. I'm kidding you. That's not the way it works. But uh, how many of you know the, the, the story of the Reformation? Martin Luther, 1517. Martin Luther in 1517, he's a Catholic guy, he's a doctor of theology, and he's got some struggles. So he goes to the church on the door of Wittenberg in Germany, and he pounds what's called the 95 Theses. And I was telling Lindsay earlier, I get kind of uh, interested, you know, sometimes people come to pastors and they complain, like, you know, I'm upset about this in our church, I'm worried about this, and they'll bring two or three things. Martin Luther, Luther had 95 concerns about the church, and he posted them, he nailed them to the door of the church. Boom, there's a scroll, 95 things. And that started what we know as the Reformation. One of the key principles of the Reformation is the whole idea of salvation by grace through faith. We don't earn our way to God. We can never deserve salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's, not a, uh, it's, a, it's a gift of God. It's not of works that anybody should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So Martin Luther starts the Reformation. The Reformation is all about grace received. That was awesome. In that first Reformation, we also said we believed in something else. It's called the priesthood of all believers. We said essentially in modern language that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. When you come to Jesus, it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter what your experiences are. You can be kind of good. You can be really good or you can be awful. The ground at the foot of cross, everybody's a sinner and everybody needs a savior. And we have the priesthood of all believers, direct access to God. Is this making sense? Okay, so the first Reformation, we said that we believed in salvation by grace through faith, and we said that we believed in the priesthood of all believers. I think we've spent 500 years showing that we don't really believe in the priesthood of all believers. And to be honest, we believe that people like me have special gifts, that people who have positions and titles, they're the ones. Like in the church that I grew up, again, Baptist church, love my heritage, we basically said, if you really love God, you'll go be a pastor or a missionary. But if you don't love God that much, go ahead and go work in the marketplace, make a bunch of money, give it to the church, and then you could be an usher or work in children's ministry. <laughs> we never said those words out loud, but that's kind of what we said. So here's what I want to say to you. The first Reformation was all about grace received. I think God is birthing a second Reformation. And I've been teaching about this for about 10, 15 years. The second Reformation is not about grace received. It's about grace distributed. I think this will make sense when we walk through these six points. Number one, God is holy. 
God is holy and perfect by very definition. If God exists, he's holy and perfect. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all, everywhere present. Amazing. Number two, God invites us to know him. To me, that's a freak out. Because if I was God and if I was holy and perfect and all-powerful and all-knowing, I would not be on my list. I would not care about knowing me. And to be honest, just to be very kind of kind, but I may not get a third invitation back. Um, the, the reality is, is that as an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God, I don't know that I'd want to know you. Because I've been here before and you're kind of messed up. I mean, seriously, I know some of you, you're messed up. And, and, and sorry, I happen to know your pastors and they're messed up. And you're listening to a messed up speaker right now. The amazing thing about a holy and perfect God is that he specializes in taking messes and turning them into miracles. God is holy and he invites us to know him. Number three, knowing God transforms us. When you are in relationship with God, when you are in relationship with God, that changes you. You cannot have an encounter with God and be the same. I loved, I happened to get here a little bit early this morning and I was listening to the worship team as they were praying. I was standing right in the back and you know what they were praying? They were praying for encounter. They weren't praying for like all the details to go smoothly. Yes, we want that to happen. They weren't praying for like, okay, let us get through this. They were praying for an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That when you come to church, it's not like, okay, check, I did one more thing on my week. It's actually experience God. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my life, like I don't need more stuff. I don't need more details. I don't need, I need to actually know the presence and power of God now. So knowing God transforms. Number four, the world's not our home and Jesus didn't pray for our removal. So by the way, we're all permanent resident aliens. Uh, the analogy I like to use is, did anybody ever watch the original Star Trek? Like the only real one? So, um, sorry. Uh, but if you watch the original Star Trek, you remember that Captain Kirk would always tell Scotty, beam me up, Scotty. And I always wondered when I was watching that, why doesn't Jesus save us and send us right to heaven? Like, that would be kind of cool and impressive, don't you think? I think after a while, stories would go like, well, I was right with them, and then they were saying this thing, and they asked Jesus to come into their heart, forgive them of their sins, acknowledge their sin, and recognize him as Savior, and boom, they were gone. Like, I think that'd be pretty amazing. But for whatever reason, that's not how God chose to work. When you come to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, he saves you for all eternity, but he leaves you right where you are. He leaves you in your family. He leaves you in relationships. A lot of times, he begins to work in your life and begins to reshape and remold. He transforms you, but he didn't pray that we'd get out of the world. Number five, he prayed for our protection from evil. My dad was a pastor for 40 plus years, and I remember talking to him one time. He'd been about 35 years in ministry at that time, Baptist pastor. I said, Dad, you have any regrets? 30 plus years in ministry. He said, thought about it. He said, yeah, I have two regrets. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to write this down. 35 years, only two regrets. So I, I was like in my, I think, uh, early 30s then. And so I wrote this down, and, and he said, number one, he said, I wish I had prayed for more people to be physically healed. He said, because I know the power of God to heal. So man, I wrote that down. And since that day, this was probably 25, 30 years ago, I have always been praying for people to get physically healed. I don't heal, but he does. And so when I pray, I pray for people to get healed, and I just know that when the healing happens, it's going to come from him, not from me. But I can be an agency of that is to pray. And by the way, you can too. So the second thing my dad said, so I'm writing notes. The second thing is he said, I wish I would have been more clear to teach people that they have a personal enemy of their soul. 
And as soon as he said that, John 10.10 came to my mind. In John 10.10, Jesus Christ said this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life, and life abundant. So the reality is this, you do have an enemy of your soul, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if those things are happening in your life, things are being stolen, killed, or destroyed, you're seeing the fingerprints of the enemy. So Jesus prayed that we'd be protected. How did he pray that we'd be protected? If you look at those passages, it says basically that we can be sanctified in truth. So I think my Baptist background, the truth of God's word, I didn't have the privilege of being raised foursquare. So I got the truth of God's word and a passion for lost people. But the power of the foursquare movement is an understanding of the movement of the kingdom of God and the present power of the Holy Spirit. I actually think it's the miracle of and. We need both of those. We need to be full of the word and full of the spirit. All right, so number six. We remain on earth to live as kingdom ambassadors and bring all whom we can to be reconciled to the Savior. And I'm so sorry, I didn't put 2 Corinthians 5 up on the, the screen, but I want to read a little bit of it. You can check it out later to make sure I'm not making this up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. By the way, gave us the ministry of reconciliation doesn't say if you're an apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, pastor, teacher. It says he gave us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. How many of you know that's good news? All my stuff is not counted against me. I'll raise my hand on that one. Like, are you kidding me? Like, by the way, when you read history, like history of the past of the United States, did you know that we're watching, when you're reading history, you're watching a video of somebody else's life? How many of you want a video of your life being put on the big screen for everybody to see for generations to come? Not me. So here's the deal. He wasn't counting our sins against him. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the basis upon which I say every single one of us have a heavenly ambassadorship. You represent heaven here on earth. And again, I think the church has been disengaged. I think the church has been fearful. I think the church has been weak, but I think that day and age is over. So I'm going to read you two quotes. I'm going to say a few things quickly to you, and then I'm going to get you out of here really close to on time. Okay, so Oswald Chambers said this, it's not a question of being saved from hell, but in being saved in order to manifest the Son of God in our mortal flesh. That's good. Martin Luther, the guy from the Reformation, said this, a gospel that does not deal with the issues of the day is not a gospel at all. Like, it's not good news if it's just sort of like fire insurance or a ticket out of here. I want to know, like, what happens when I go to work tomorrow. I want to know what happens when I'm dealing with my family today. I want to know what happens when I get that medical news. What do I do? Well, let me just say, I think we're, work, we're living and working in a turbulent world. I think there's some giants in the land. So real quickly, here's five cultural giants of our time. Historical revisionism, abortion and euthanasia, religious repression, racism and injustice, our identity and family. I think those are five areas of huge confusion and spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 says, by the way, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and rulers in high places. So I think just like David went against Goliath with five smooth stones, he didn't go with a spear. He didn't go with a sword. He went with five smooth stones. I think God has five smooth stones for us. This is what I think God is calling the church to in this hour. This is the basis of what I think is going to lead to our revival and reformation. Five things. Number one, foundations. 
I love how we talked about that last worship song we did was about foundations. We're committed to biblical authority in our life. The word of God is where we understand what his will and his way is. And and we're committed to, to viewing our constitution as a stewardship trust. Now, by the way, just be really clear. We do not worship America. We do not worship our constitution, think our constitution was inspired like scripture. Absolutely not. No and heck no. But here's what we do believe. I say I cleaned it up for church. I felt good about that. Uh, I do believe this. I do believe this. We have this amazing privilege when you live in the United States. I have been in a lot of global settings, and when I get back here, I literally do sometimes drop to my knees and say, thank you, Jesus, for getting me back safe in the United States. How many of you know we're messed up? Yep, we're really messed up. And how many of you know you look back at American history and go like, oh, there's all kinds of terrible stuff, and yes, there was, and yes, there is. However, we have this amazing freedom in the United States. We have this amazing stewardship trust, and God has used that for his glory to be able to send missionaries around the world, to be a force for good in the gospel. So we just want to treat that as a sacred trust and honor that stewardship. It's like your family legacy. That is a sacred trust from God. And if your family legacy is really, really messy, guess what? You get to be the first one in birthing a new line of legacy going forward. And some of you, by the way, that's your assignment on the planet, is to change the direction of the trajectory that you inherited. Next one, life. We're committed to treating all life, a human life as precious and made in the image of God. We honor life in the womb and outside the womb until natural death. I just, God a, is, a, is a life-giving father. He's a life-giving God, and we want to honor life and lift it up. The enemy is, is all about death. Number three, liberty. Committed to religious and economic liberty. Uh, number four, justice. A biblical experience of racial unity, justice, let me just say quickly, the thing that's happening in our culture about race, and there's all kind racism exists, injustice exists, it's terrible. But can I say this? All human beings are made in the image of God. If you're black, brown, white, the reality is this, is that you have the imprint of God. We all bleed human blood. And so the reality is, is that we're all precious in the sight of God. And I say this sometimes, get myself in trouble. Again, man, another reason not to invite me back maybe, is that I refuse to be colorblind. I refuse. I just, I, I just don't see that in Scripture. God's got a diversity, man. I, I want to be color beautiful, not color blind. I want to see the diversity of how God made people and go like, whoa, let me celebrate that. You are so different from me, and that's a good thing. God's into diversity. He made all kinds of trees. He made all kinds of birds. He made all kinds of flowers. He made all kinds of people. We celebrate that. We honor that. And then we work towards a society where biblical justice can come to pass by honoring the image of God in all creation. Last one, family. Biblical views of gender, sexuality, marriage, and family where parents have the right and responsibility to protect children from harmful decision and input. Man, I think when you're a parent, that's a sacred trust. And by the way, you're going to blow it 10,000 times. I've got five kids, 10,000 may be a low estimate. So uh, it just happens. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Let me talk to you about the church I see. This is a church I see. I just want to sort of pray this over you. I see a church with groups of believers who are launched like aircraft from a strategic vessel targeted to their specific assignments in culture and community. Some of you are in healthcare because God assigned you there. Some of you are in government because God assigned you there. Some of you are in business because God assigned you there. Some of you are in arts, media, and entertainment because God assigned you there. You carry with him the, the, the heavenly ambassadorship of reconciliation. I see a church engaged in society with redemptive love, full of grace and truth, contending for what heaven looks like in the critical issues of our day. I see assemblies of believers in all 3,000 counties of the United States living for the glory of God, following Jesus with radical love, radical truth, and radical grace. I see the church prevailing against the darkness of our day, 
see the church defeating the enemy of our souls and recognizing him as the thief, liar, and murderer that he is. I see the church living fully armored up, recognizing that we're not in a country club. We're not called to survive in the prison camp until we get rescued. We're called to defeat the enemy in a very real war. I see the church taking up its birthright, responding to its master and calling, and living in a prevailing fashion. I see the church that Jesus loves, loving the world he died for and living for the kingdom that he ushered onto our planet. You know that Jesus stood outside of Jerusalem and wept over the city? Do we weep over Roseville, Citrus Heights, Orangevale, Rockland, Lincoln, wherever God has called us, do, do we like are we passionately burdened for them? I see the Savior, his bride and his kingdom and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me?